Hello, 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 hello. What is going on, beautiful people? Welcome, welcome back. It's your boy, Blue, and you got the homie here, XP72, episode 31, I believe, of the Blue Experience podcast, all about aviation and flight simulation, trying to inspire inspire the next generation, and uh, hopefully you guys have been enjoying the ride so long. I do have a big announcement to say right up front before we even get into our amazing guest, and that is Blue Experience is finally starting up a brand new standalone channel. Me and XP are joining forces and creating a brand new channel just for this show. You guys have been giving us a, such good feedback and we've been loving it and we thought it deserved to have its own platform. It's already on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Amazon, uh, but I think it'd be great to have its own channel and, and just kind of take advantage of that and just show, um, you know, just kind of be a, you know, we're trying to grow it to be a bigger thing in the flight sim and aviation community. So I think it's gonna be amazing. So definitely go and check it out. We're gonna be dropping the links in the chat and in the description to the brand new channel, Blue Experience Media. And next Next week, next week, episode 32, we're bringing in an amazing guest and they are going to be sponsoring 10 giveaways. Yes, 10 giveaways. That is going to be Orbix. We all know we love Orbix scenery. Can't get enough. So definitely come back and you got to make sure you're following and you're subscribed to that channel because next next live stream, next podcast is going to be streamed exclusively on the new Blue Experience Media channel. So again, in the description, we're going to have that link for you. Nightbot's going to have that link for you. We're going to get it set up. But without further ado, XP72, what's up with you, man? Hey, 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 hey. What's going on, guys? Long, long, long day for me today. But um, the most exciting thing right now is what Blue just talked about. Blue Experience is going to be on its own channel. Me and Blue have been working and talking about it for a minute. We're no longer stepping over each other, no longer <laughs> having this broadcast on four different platforms at the same time. We're going to have one place, one source for all of this, and we're going to start it with a bang. As you said, Orbix is jumping on and sponsoring the first episode with 10 giveaways. 10, exactly. Uh, as a matter of fact, in chat right now, if you could go to exclamation BXM, that will give you the link for the Blue Experience Media channel. Right now, honestly, there's only one subscriber on the Blue Experience Actually, Media channel. Actually, there's already 10. <laughs> Just it's in the last few ten. seconds. It's going up. <laughs> there you go. That's what I want. Get it oh up and going. Uh, right now on it real quick before we introduce our next guest because we're anticipating talking to this gentleman here. But um, just to let you know, there's already videos uploaded from our previous episodes. We have, we have from episode, what, one up to five already? Yes. So you guys can go back to listen to the oldies but goodies. The first one with V1 simulation is on there. Uh, Microsoft and Xbox releases on there. Uh, we have a Flight Sim Expo 2021 on there. And we're just going to be loading all the archives on Blue Experience Media. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button over there as soon as you land on our page and we'll talk about it some more but anyway blue time for you to not bore your audience anymore with our stuff let's bring this gentleman on you yes so i, I think that me and xp will agree that when it comes to flight simulation when it comes to aviation when it comes to this hobby this passion this thing that we love that we call airplanes is that there's so many amazing jobs out there and it's not just about being a pilot uh there's so much more you can do maybe you can't 
be a pilot for some reason. Maybe you don't, you physically can't do it. Maybe something is holding you back, right? Well, there's a lot of other options out there that you can do. Air traffic controller, I mean, all kind of things. And so I like promoting those things. I know XP does too. And today we have a very unique position in the aviation industry. And it actually sounds really industry, I mean, really interesting and really attainable. Uh, like I'm actually legit myself already, before we even started, interested in possibly looking deeper into getting into this career. That is an airline flight dispatcher. And we got the homie, you may recognize his name from chats in the past. That is wrong side simulation. Say what's up to the people. Going on guys. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> work, man. Listen, thank you so much, by the way. Let me just say thank you before I say anything else for your perseverance, because you reach out to us and go, hey, man, I got some stuff to contribute to this flight sim community. And it's not just about flying. It's other things that I've done. You are a real world airline employee in a big way. And you reach out to us. You said, hey, bring me on the show. I'll let the audience know about more, know more about a lot of other things you could do in the airline industry. And that's why you're on the show. And I thank you so much for coming on, man. Absolutely appreciate it. How are you doing today, brother? Man, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm not sure if my heart's pounding because I'm drinking 32 ounces of black coffee or <laughs> in front of a computer talking to two legends in the in the flight sim world. But, uh, but man, I'm so happy to be here and, and, and very thankful for this opportunity to share my story and, and what I do and, and my fellow coworkers do. Uh, Cause I think a lot of people, especially in, in the flight sim community, everybody knows dispatch and they, they know sim brief as probably about the most of that. Um, but there it's, it's incredible what we do and the impact that we have. Um, so I just wanted to share that. And for like you were saying, if there's anybody who can't fly, this is an incredible next best. So uh, yeah. I don't even know where to start, bro. Um, we talked a little <laughs> bit before the show. Let's start. Let's start off with where you came from, right? So your wrong side simulations. You're, you just started a, a new YouTube channel yourself. Uh, so definitely mm -hmm. go check him out. That link is already in the description of the YouTube show. Uh, but so a brief, you know, what got you into aviation? What got you into flight simulation? And what got you into eventually streaming? Uh, man, I was always pretty interested in airplanes growing up like like most of us um i remember my grandpa taking me to the airport and watching old delta md88s take off and thought oh, that was boy. really cool and then i went to my first um went to my first uh air show and uh i was just i watched the blue angels and was captivated and but i always thought to myself like man there's there's no way i'd be smart enough to work in aviation like these guys are like you know the cream of the crop and uh so go through high school i graduate high school and I didn't know what I was wanting to do, but I was walking through Target one day, and on the shelf, saw Microsoft Flight Simulator 10. Oh, boy. And uh, so I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. So I pick it up and read it, and it talks about when you land, the airport, airport comes alive around you. And it's like, man, I want to check this out. So started getting into that, and and uh, really, that's probably the like the biggest influence of where I started going in aviation was the flight sim. And... Um, <clears throat> From there, uh, come got right out of high school, so I started working at uh, Hibbit Sporting Goods. Played sports growing up. It's like I'll go sell gloves and stuff. Had a coworker of mine who um, he did that, but he also worked for Continental. And he's like, "Oh man, if you like airplanes, you need to come do what I do." And so he worked the ramp for uh, Continental. Took me on a shift. This is before uh, Sight of Badge days, hmm. and uh, <laughs> went out there and marshaled an airplane. And I was like, "Dude, this is 
way better than selling tennis shoes and gloves. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I went and, uh, went and applied, got a job with, um, with Delta and, uh, doing all the ground operations with them. And, uh, I was doing that for about five years. Um, did a little short spurt of time in, in the air force, which also kind of feeds into all of this. And, um, uh, I was supposed to fly the, uh, the, I came, I got out of the military on a uh, medical disability. So the VA was going to pay for my aviation degree. I was going to go to Louisiana oh, wow. tech. If y'all can't tell, I've got an accent. I'm originally from Louisiana. No, I was just going to ask you, <laughs> where did that accent come from? Bro? I love right, it. I love right, it though. Yeah. <clears throat> I am from the, from Louisiana. If any of y'all have seen duck dynasty, the, uh, mm-hmm. town they're from Monroe, Louisiana is where I'm from. Wow. So uh, wow. I got to meet nice. those guys through working at Delta handling That's a lot cool. of their, their flights and stuff. But, nice. uh, um, but yeah, so, um, anyways, got out of the air force and they're going to send me to Louisiana tech and pay for my aviation degree, pay for everything. Like if you, if I needed a flight bag, I need a headset, whatever they pay for it all. Kind of seemed too good to be true. Turned out it was. Uh-oh. Uh, we were getting ready to pull the trigger on it, and oh, wow. that's when the uh, the FAA changed the ATP up to fifteen hundred hours. And uh-huh. I was going to graduate college with three hundred and fifty flight hours. And uh-huh. so the VA was like, "Yo, uh, we want you in the right seat of an airliner right after college. That's not going to happen. We're not doing it." Oh my All god! Right. Wow. And so uh, next best was flight dispatch. I didn't really know a whole lot of what they did. I dealt with dispatchers working uh, ground ops with Delta. Anytime we had like a payload restriction and we had to kick passengers, I'd call the dispatch, but yo, can we like try to make this better so we can get these passengers on a plane? So I had a little bit of interaction with them, but still didn't really know what they did. And um, I looked into it. I was like, you know, this is a pretty cool deal. So I asked the VA, I was like, hey, can we uh, switch this whole thing from pilot to go get my dispatch license? And uh, so sure enough, the VA paid for the dispatch license, and uh, which is far cheaper than any pilot's license um but yeah so i went to dispatch school got my got my pilot or my pilots we got my uh, dispatch license and then uh went over to trans states airlines and got a little bit of uh experience there and now i'm at a major uh, part 121 u.s carrier dispatching nice. and uh next week i will be transitioning from flight dispatcher to flight dispatch manager and uh have no idea what to What's really expect on that one? We'll kind of see when we get there, but nonetheless, if it wasn't for flight sim, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. So, question: I'm gonna jump right in. How old are you? How old am I? Yes, I am 31, and I I jumped into the ramp game when I was 19. So, I think I yeah, I was there for five years, and then uh, I've been dispatching now for about seven. Wow. So basically, you've got aviation fumes in your system from a teenager. <laughs> That's it. You're hooked yeah. now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that was the thing, like, doing the ground operation stuff, for me, it, was, it wasn't anything about a paycheck. Because if, if anybody knows anything about being a ramper, especially for a contracted company, because um, I was with uh, DGS, which I don't believe um, is in business anymore. But, That's uh, what I work for, I technically. Unify, unify, right? Yep. That's what they, Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it was not about the paycheck. Um, for me, it was all about having the opportunity to be around the pilots and ask questions and learn and kind of get my foot in the door. And, man, it's like there will be so many good people along the way. If you, if you be a good person, good people will help you along the way. And through that, 
met a good buddy of mine. He is now a uh, FedEx captain, but at the time he was um, he was a Pinnacle captain. He was also from Louisiana. I'm a big LSU fan. I was wearing an LSU ball cap. He came off the plane and saw my ball cap, and he was like, "Oh, go Tigers!" So we start chatting, and uh, I was on the headset getting ready to push him out, and told him I was getting ready to ship out for the Air Force, and you know, I wanted to fly. And he's like, "Oh man, well here, take my number." And shoot me a text, and I'll text you when I get to Atlanta. That's kind of weird, but all right. So I text him, and uh, when he landed in Atlanta, he texted me back. He's like, hey, man, I want to I want to mentor you. I want to help get you into the industry any way that I can. Wow. And, um, man, he's uh, he's contributed a lot to to where I'm at. Um, he got me some uh, sim time on the CRJ200. He is a board member at uh, Flight Safety International in Vero Beach, Florida. Um, so he would fly in. i go pick him up, and um, he would – give me some free discovery flights while he does his board member things over there. And, um, it's just an awesome dude. He loves to, to try to bring the younger generation up to, uh, you know, into aviation and that kind of thing. So he, he loves a mentor and he always told me, he said, you know, I'll do, I'll do anything for you as long as you pay it back to somebody else down the road. And, uh, it's part of what I'm trying to do right now. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually awesome, man. Awesome. Let me ask you a question. Let me step back a second because you said you had to get your license or whatever to become a um, to become an op, ops person. What are we talking about as far as education? Because as I said, there's lots of people here who want to be pilots, just like me, you, Blue, and every one of us. But because of different circumstances, whether it's medical, health, financial, time, family, location, you can't. But if you decide to still be in the airline, because something that you said earlier off stream, and I wanted to talk about it later on, is the perks of being an ops agent blew me away, which is pretty cool. But what does it take to become an ops agent? What are we looking at? What do you need to do? Where do you need to be? Well, as far as ops agent, so there's there's a difference between um, like ops agent and flight dispatcher. Flight dispatcher. Um, There you go. That's it. Um, But both, really nothing, to be honest. I mean, as I, I like went high into, school degree, I mean, like, what yeah, we, what, yeah. what's the minimal is going to be high school degree or maybe a GED. Um, okay. But other than that, I mean, that's that's really it. Obviously, you know, as as a ramper or like ops agent, very minimal. Um, and I started that when I was 19 right out of high school. Um, but for dispatch, um, you have to be 23. That's really hard to do. Um, <clears throat> then on top of that. That's it. Just be 23. Um, come up with 4,500 bucks. That's what it costs roughly to get your dispatch license. That's if you're it? not having to pay for, that's it. 4,500 bucks. Wow. Yep. And it's a uh, it's a five week school, five to six week school depending on where you go. Um, and that's it. And man, I'm sitting at a desk next to people who have Embry Riddle uh, degrees, and I don't have a degree at all. Wow. Wow. So, it's wow. uh that's another reason why it's so great because you know college isn't for everybody um okay. i wholeheartedly uh, agree man i agree yeah. agree yep i i was one of those um i was i was struggling just to get my basics out of the way to try to go to tech to to fly um much less get a degree and uh man, i'm sitting next to people that incredibly smart and and paid a lot of money for their degrees and we're both you know sitting in the same place that's the that's the beauty of it is just go to dispatch school, knock out your five, six weeks. Now it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a pretty tough, um, tough course. The first two weeks, at least at my school where I went to, um, schools are structured differently. I currently have a friend of mine, um, Jay, he's probably watching this right now. Um, him and I met through my flight sim channel 
He uh he used to be a storm chaser back in the day. He used to fuel airplanes at Chicago Hair back in the day. And um now he's sitting he's got six kids. He'd been at the same job for about ten years and was kind of meh on the job. And so he got to know me through my flight sim channel and he's like, Oh, there's a job where you can deal with weather and airplanes? Sign me up. So now he is uh I think Monday he takes his his written and oral practical with the FAA to get his dispatch license and uh once he's got that, he's off on the uh he's got a job with Republic Airways already lined up. In fact he's already technically employed. But um really cool that like I was able to touch somebody in that way. Um but now he goes from a job from ten years, it's kinda of meh. Now he's starting a whole new career and something that he really, really loves. I have a wow. question real quick because that what you just mm -hmm. said is so is a massive statement in my opinion. Um mm -hmm. how long have you been streaming? Maybe a year. A year. Something so you've like only that. been streaming in a year and you were able to connect with a viewer and inspire that person to legit make a decision that changes their whole life from here on out. That is amazing. Yep. Salute to you. And I think that's why it's so important anybody out there who does stream or make videos that you are, you have to remember, you, it doesn't matter if you have 500, 5,000 people watching you at once or if you have five or 10, like your presence matters and you matter. And what you say on those streams, what you say that the content you put out really does matter because just like this, you know, he just, but he, you just shared your story. Like, yeah, I just, I do flight dispatching. It's really cool. And this guy was like, huh, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know that was, I didn't know that was a possibility, right? And that's yeah. kind of the, the heart of today's show. And it's going to be throughout is that like, hey, like this is something that's an, an opportunity, it's an option. And we're talking about some of the ways that you can do that. So my other uh, following question is, um, you kind of answered my question on how, like how much, uh, how long does it take? Uh, what was it? I saw a question in the chat. Uh, is there... So are you able to go straight into getting, like, it's a school for a license, or do you have to go through, like, a university? Um, there are universities that offer it. I think uh, Middle Tennessee is a, a pretty big one. Um, but, no, there's there's individual schools just for flight dispatch. Um, I went to IFOD in Dallas, which is uh, Institute of Flight Operations and Dispatch. There's Jepson. There's Sheffield. Uh, I think Sheffield's down in South Florida. Um they're all structured a little bit differently. They kind of do their own um, their own way of things, but at the end of the day, they're t everybody's taking the same test, and it's all the same um, all the same content, I guess you'd say. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> it's very easy to do as far as minimal requirements. Just be twenty three. In fact, you can actually get your license before twenty three. You just can't dispatch at a Part one twenty one, which is scheduled air carrier operations. Um, until you're you're 23, so um, yeah, just 4,500 bucks. Go spend five six weeks with your nose in the book, and then you're pretty much set for the rest of your life as long as you can uh, you know present yourself in a good way and and go get a, a pretty decent job. And it's a it's a hell of a job. It's it's a lot of fun. We we see new things every single day. Almost every day is different. Um, plus incredible perks and, and that kind of stuff. But um, if anybody can't fly, look into dispatch because it is it, it pays pretty well. You get to deal with airplanes. And the biggest part of it is we get to ride in the cockpit. On oh, boy. All U.S. carriers. <laughs> and that's, that's what that, that was the biggest thing for me was, like, man, I get to ride in the cockpit. Let's let's go. That's what I want to ask <laughs> you about next, because we talked about kind of like, hey, this this exists. 
Um, this is something that you should do if you can't fly or just, or whatever. But but why? Mm-hmm. If if people are not sold yet by now, like what is it perks wise that what what do you love so much about dispatching? What what do you think people would love about it? Sell me. Um <laughs> so it's like so first of all, to when getting your dispatch license, the, at least in my school, the first two weeks was learning everything that the pilots know that they've learned in their 1,500 hours to obtain their ATP. And we take a dispatch version of their ATP. Um, it's pretty much the, the same. So the first two weeks are really tough because you're having to learn radials and like all the instrument stuff they know. We're learning regulatory things um, like FA regs weather theory um weight and balance performance all this stuff so the first two weeks are are pretty tough like you do have to have your nose slammed to the book um for about the first two weeks after that it's all flight planning if anybody's a flight dispatcher you've done some sort of flight planning whether you sim brief or pfpx whatever um except our our flight planning is a little bit more in depth and we're we're bound by fa regulations and company policy and stuff like that um but other than that we're not flying the airplane, but we are 50% responsible for that flight with the pilot in command of each flight. So if I'm dispatching 20, 35 flights in a shift, I am 50% responsible for the legalities and the safety of that flight with the pilot in command of each one of those flights. Wow. So do you have so, more responsibility than the wow. first officer? Um, in the eyes of the FAA, in the overall process, yeah, wow, pretty much. Oh, um, like in our <laughs> wow. world, we, we that's a huge responsibility. A little bit, you know. You got an airplane <laughs> with like two hundred and thirty-four souls on board, and like every now and then, there'll be something that'll kind of like if you you get comfortable, you might have a little situation that kind of scares you a little bit, like oh, and you kind of remember what it is that you do, and and. You know, we're out there to, because we're, we flight plan and that's, that's a big part of our job. But the biggest part of it is that once the flight's en route, we're talking to the crew, letting them know about turbulence and thunderstorms and icing, anything that could affect the safety of flight, we're letting them know. Um, so we're kind of the eyes in the sky, which is probably the biggest reason why we exist. Cause the FAA loves the idea of having eye in the sky and letting crews know what's going on all that kind of stuff so we're we're very much involved with uh planes coming trying to come into land and there's a thunderstorm on the field and they can't get in they send us the field on board and the altitude and what they're going to be doing and we'll run all that and determine uh how long they can hold when they're going to divert and where they're going to divert to stuff like that um so we're that we're that we're basically it's like we're the coach and the captain is the quarterback Hmm. You tell them what and, to do when they execute it the best way they can, or call an audible if they need to, or whatever. Right. Oh. Wow. And so any any kind of change. Um, so you know, I, I send my flight plan, and I have this strategy. And the captain wants to make a change. He has to address me with that change, and vice versa. Um, it's it's fifty fifty joint responsibility. Um. So if there's something that different that I want to do, I need to talk to him first and or her and talk it out. Make sure that's something that we you know we want to do. So uh, it's never just like a free for all. I'm gonna do what I want to do kind of thing. We have to talk to each other and figure out like 
all right, is this the change we want to make? We're going to go with the original plan or whatever. And that can be whether it's like he don't like the route or doesn't like the fuel that I planned or doesn't like the altitude that I planned. And, um, you know, a lot of times too, especially being a simmer, and that's that's kind of the other side of it all is being a flight simmer, you kind of get a better idea of what these guys are doing in a cockpit um, and, and how things affect them when they're busy. Um, like when do you want to talk to them? that kind of stuff. So usually like if I, if I have something going on, I'm trying to get, if I need to run them burns and let them know what their fuel burns look like. So we just had some sort of a change in, in whatever the flight's doing. I want to let them know before they're descending is when they're descending, then they're starting to get busy You know, they're talking ATC more and um, they're getting busier with, you know, the cockpit environment as a whole. Um, so you kind of, as a flight simmer, you kind of know, what that's like in a way, especially if you fly on bat sim, it's like bat sim times 10 in real life. Right. Right. But, um, but yeah, so there's, I don't know, it all kind of ties into each other and it <clears throat> flight sim and also just gives you a lot more insight on, um, different little things. Like for example, like in my company, we do Airbus and the Phoenix for me was a godsend. Um, so I already knew a lot about the airplane, but Phoenix was so good at replicating certain processes like, um, like, all right, we're going to load the airplane and you get your preliminary load sheet. Right. And that's kind of the same thing as, as the OFP that the, the captain would have, and they're going to input their information based off of planned. But then when it's done boarding, you get your actual and those numbers might change. And that's very much like that's so realistic. Uh, mm. it, it's very often that the flight was planned full, and then for whatever reason, we have several no shows, and now the flight is way lighter. And I, may, I might need to go in and reset their zero fuel weight so they can get their takeoff numbers or the other way around. I may have planned it, I mean, kind of light, like we'll, we'll obviously plan the flight based off of booked passengers, but um, maybe another flight canceled, they moved all those passengers over took up all the seats and now it's way heavier than planned now i gotta go in and reset and that's also going to affect his burns and so we need to talk like hey um and now we're way heavier we had all this extra fuel we were planning for whatever these constraints were but now like that extra weight is eating into that burn do we need to get more gas are you comfortable going with this a lot of talking so um phoenix did a really good job on that side of things of kind of replicating that realism of you might be heavier, might be lighter, might be what it was. Um, so that's really cool. And uh, one other thing that, that I really applaud Phoenix with, as as dispatchers, we um, sometimes we get like questions that you would almost think we wouldn't know the answer to because we're not pilots and we don't sit in the cockpit. We don't know the airplane in depth. And we get trained on systems to an extent but, you know, not to what the pilots know. And every now and then, like, we have different um, criteria that's set as, like, a safety net for, um, like, takeoff performance, weight and balance, center of gravity and stuff. So whenever something is, is out of whack, we have to do a reset. And sometimes the, the pilot might only change the numbers that we change for them in one spot of the McDo, but not the other spot of the McDo, Oh, geez. Therefore, it's still messed up. So they call us and they're like, hey, you know, we put in the new numbers and we're we're still not getting numbers. What's going on? Well, being a simmer and being very familiar with the McDo, 
thanks to Phoenix and other previous Airbus developers, um, I can tell them like, okay, well, you need to go, are your engines running? No. Okay. Go to the init B page and make sure that you change your zero fuel weight in the init B page. And if you haven't, that's what's thrown off your numbers. Wow. Like, oh, Get, okay. out. Go, 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 go. Get out of here. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Dude, oh, yeah. I got a, I got a million questions for you. But <laughs> so basically you're saying having a heads up in flight simming and with some of these high fidelity airplanes helps your job more than the other guy who's never done it. Absolutely. Oh my word. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then they can they'll turn around like, oh well, the engines are running, so we can't we can't do that because now that page moved. I'm like, no. You can just go to the fuel prediction page now and change it there. Oh, that worked. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. We're out of here. <laughs> like, it's, oh. it's, in fact, one of my coworkers one day, because I had this situation, I mean, this kind of stuff happens somewhat often. And um, the dispatcher asked me for help because I do the whole flight sim stuff. I'm just a big old nerd like everybody else. And, uh, so he asked me for help, and I was like, yeah, just tell him to change the zero fuel weight in the in the fuel prediction page. He's going to tell you that he can't. He can. And so he tells him. They, he hangs up the phone. And he's like, dude, that's got to like – that's got to be kind of crazy to them that the dispatcher knows their airplane that well. It's almost as if like they try to tell me how my flight planning software works. Like there's no way that they should know that. It's kind of the other way around. So uh, I don't know. It's kind of a cool moment. I was like, "Yeah, flight sim." <laughs> oh my god! Man, yes. Oh man! All right, do me this favor before we even get into more nitty gritty. What does a typical person like yourself, dispatcher? What's your day like? What is your day? What's your starting oh. from planning? You know, what is your day like? Like, you know, tell me about it, man. It varies by shift. It depends on kind of what shift you're on determines your workload to an extent. Um, like the morning guys, they're they're pumping out a lot more flight plans, um, but they won't take what they won't do what we call a turnover. So like a dispatcher's leaving whatever flights they have airborne or planned, they'll turn them over to the relieving dispatcher. Um, so those guys come in and they by the time they sit down, it's I mean they're pumping out paperwork left and right because it's you know, it's morning time. We got the launch flights. And that's like one of the most critical times of the day. If you have a, a launch flight that's delayed, that's going to delay the whole, that airplane's whole line of flying for the day. So um, we really, those guys really try to focus on getting the paperwork out on time, getting the day rolling. Um, also too, the, the time of year. So like the, the midday guys who come in uh, middle part of the day, they're going to take over the flights from the morning guys. Um, so when they sit down, they've got already a desk full of airplanes that are already flying. And in the mid part of the day, this time of year, got lots of thunderstorms, lots of stuff going on, lots of ATC constraints. Um, so they're tra they're going to have to like, they're going to have to pay even more attention, I guess, to what the weather's doing and where the planes are at right now. And like, they're just getting thrown into the nitty gritty right away. And then on my shift, um, my shift is, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit slower in a way, but it's also, not in another way when i come in um i may or may not take a desk of flights i think right now we've got uh two people that leave and three of us come in so one of us won't take a turnover immediately um so if that case you may not have any flights in the air for the first hour and a half the front end of our shift is a little bit light on building on building flight plans um 
but that's by design so that when all of the midday people, which I think is 10 of them, when those 10 guys turn over to the three of us overnights, because I'm an overnight guy, I'm very nocturnal. Um, now we've got, we're taking four turnovers each, and we're going to have quite a good number of flights airborne once they do that. So we're we're a little bit light on the building so that we can focus on the en route flights. And then by the time those are landing, we're assisting with that morning push. Um, we start pumping out uh, the back end of our desk, which will probably have like 15 to 20 flights. Um, and that sh- should help the morning guys to get out some of those those morning flights. Um, oh, oh, I don't mean to cut you here, but you I'm said en route flight. So basically flights are in en route. What do you do in the background for those flights, if anything at all? I mean, what's what is that like? I mean, um, what do you do for those guys? Is it diversions? Is it what what are you handling? Uh <clears throat> well hopefully not diversions. That, that <laughs> it, it, and it happens. Like you sit down and uh, you might you might sit down and take a turnover and the dispatcher's like, hey by the way, uh Fort Lauderdale's holding for thunderstorms. Um I got one holding. He's got this much fuel he can hold for this long. And if he can't, if he can't make it, then he's going here. And like, as soon as you sit down, you're already in that situation. And those are not fun to kick your day off with. But, um, but no, we're just, uh, we're, we're watching. We're kind of like, again, the eye in the sky. So we're watching for, um, you know, any thunderstorms, whether it's en route thunderstorms that we need to work them around, let them know ahead of time before they get to it. Um, let them know where it's at in relation to their, their route and how to get around it what the tops on the weather is um so if they can get over it cool mm. if they can't then you got to go around it um we're trying to keep them out of uh turbulence and then obviously if you got thunderstorms at the destination um you know we're letting them know ahead of time like hey um thunderstorms in fort lauderdale aircraft are holding slow down let's try to give this more time to to be taken what? care of before you get there um so yeah we're we're just always talking to them and trying to keep them out of <laughs> you're you're monitoring these guys I'm, you know i'm here thinking a pilot alone is doing all the job of monitoring what's going on you're like no you're like the eye in the sky like looking at right. all these planes going over yeah they, I mean, they can see you know a couple hundred miles out ahead of them as far as where the radar goes right um but we we can see the big picture and uh, like very often, it's it's super irritating, but I understand why it happens. Um, on the overnight shift, we get a lot of transcon flights, mm-hmm. and uh, I might tactically route an aircraft. Say if we're doing like L.A. to Philly, um, I might put them on a particular routing to avoid a like large weather system, and um, they can take off. And then L.A. Center is like, hey, want to go direct Philly? And pilots are like. Let's go shortcut. <laughs> we like shortcuts. And then they take the shortcut. Well, now that shortcut is putting them right through the line of weather. I was trying to keep them out of. So it's up to us to see that and reach out to them like, yo, probably don't do that. Let's go back to the filed route so that you're not going towards like 50,000, 60,000 foot tall thunderstorms of death. So, um, yeah, so, you know, we're just kind of there as the eye in the sky because they can't right, see that right, far right, out. Right. And L.A. Center, like, they don't know what weather's going on in Kansas City Center or, you know, whatever. So those guys, usually, I have a few friends who are controllers, and for the most part, they just want aircraft out of their sector as fast as possible. They can just kick mm-hmm. back and chill. So they're like, hey, shortcut, get out of my sector. Mm-hmm. Like, cool, we'll take the shortcut. But little do they know, 500 miles down the road is a squall line, and uh, that's no good. So right. we'll keep them out of that. I have 
I have, I have a question. So how often do flight dispatchers and pilots actually bump heads? Often. Pretty often. <laughs> a lot of it, too, depends on, like, just the personality of either the dispatcher or the pilot. Um, I mean, you know, we're, we're all human, and humans are, have different personalities. So for the most part, our pilot group and my company are amazing. Love our pilot group. Um, very, very cool set of, of, of pilots. Very easy to work with for the most part. Every now and then you get this one. Or in, in plus, you know, you got life stuff going on for all we know. Like, Captain just had a fight with husband or wife, and now they're just in a bad mood, and then they were coming to work, and, you know, they you get a little bit of that. But um, there can be some disputes over – usually it's fuel. In fact, I, I got on a – I was jump seating on one of our flights one day, and I introduced myself. Say, hey, I'm Blake, I'm dispatcher. And the captain goes, "Oh, what's the difference between um, a, what's the difference between a burrito and a flight dispatcher?" Oh, like no. what? He's like, "A burrito will give you gas, and a dispatcher won't." <laughs> 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 so, uh, so yeah, like that's that's the tough part with our job is we're obviously like fuel is the biggest expenditure for an airline. Right. So we don't want to just go throwing on a ton of, of extra gas if it's not going to be burned for some sort of constraint. So we're we're kind of in the middle of like what the company wants and what the pilot wants. And we're we're trying to ride that line where we please both. Um, mm. I mean, for the most part, as a dispatcher, as long as you have a good reason for what you do and it's not just feel good fuel, then everybody's going to be fine with it. But every now and then, a captain will call and be like, hey, you know, I see that you got me planned with this much gas. Uh, how about let's add a little bit more? And then, so then as a dispatcher, you just kind of have the conversation like, all right, well, why do you want the gas? And they'll give you their pitch. And they're like, all right, well, here's what I see. Blah, 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 blah. And after that, maybe they're like, OK, cool. Like you, you accounted for what I was worried about. Sweet. I'll, let's take the feel that you planned. Or they're like, yeah, nope, let's still let's let's tack on a little bit more, you know. And they'll they'll throw it at you like, you know, when you're the one up there, like, and you're seeing this stuff, blah blah blah. So, you know, and I usually once you have that conversation, like, I don't want to. It's a team, it's a teamwork type scenario, right? Or or environment. So I don't want to de to degrade that by like going head to head and arguing like, wow, like taking it personally, you know, like my fuel load whatever if he's got a good reason for it and I, I explain what i see and why i did what i did and he still wants to gas take it did you just say feel good feel yes that is that is very <laughs> much I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna start using that when i'm loaded <laughs> up to phoenix but like you know let's put an extra thousand on for feel good fuel just because the conga line is gonna be long and tax is gonna be long wow oh yeah i mean make a t-shirt feel good fuel as a yeah. as a dispatcher, that's the type of stuff we're taking into account. If there's going to be taxi delays or departure delays of some sort, we need to account for that. So we're going to put that wow. in the taxi fuel. Um, wow. Yeah, wow. We, that's that's kind of the big part for us as far as fuel planning is you hope that you can see every constraint that you anticipate and fuel accordingly for it. But there will be times that it doesn't happen, and I'll I'll give you a little scenario that was – it was kind of an eye-opener for me when I first started at my current company. It was my first year, and it was it was really embarrassing, but it was a good effect. I just I was training somebody the other day, and I I used this scenario for him. But uh, I had a flight. I think it was Lauderdale to Dallas, and weather in Dallas was forecast to be beautiful. There was nothing to make me think that there was going to be anything other than beautiful. And so um, 
I planned the flight. I think I gave them like 20 minutes of extra gas um, on top of what our fuel policy fuel is. There's a little bit more. And um, so they take off. They're en route. And some weather kind of built up in central Louisiana where the route goes. So ATC started publishing reroutes. And the reroute, instead of going from basically New Orleans through central Louisiana straight to Dallas, now it's going New Orleans all the way over to Houston and then up. Wow. And uh, so I got the reroute, uh, plugged it in, ran the numbers with their fuel on board while they were while they were flying across the Gulf. And uh, that reroute ate up a lot of their extra gas. I think they had maybe like three minutes of extra fuel now. Ooh. Oh, jeez. But captain was still cool with it. Like everything's going fine out in Dallas. Well, then typical Texas weather, thunderstorms blew up all around the airport. Airplanes started holding. We weren't even to New Orleans yet. Oh my and God. Uh, so I'm looking and I'm like, well, we got three minutes of gas, no alternate. And planes are holding. Probably not going to get in. <clears throat> and now at this point, it's kind of, you make that call, like, is it safe to continue? No. And and it kind of sucks because it's purely just based on, it's, we're having to divert now because of my fueling. And oh, uh, so I sent the captain a message, told him what was going on. And uh, it's like, hey, you know, you want to stop in New Orleans or you want to go to Houston? But like, we definitely can't keep going. There's no, if, if you had to hold, we're burned yeah. and, we're, and there's nowhere to go from there. So um, he's like, oh, no problem. Let's just go to let's go to New Orleans. We'll do a gas and go. So they landed there, got their gas, and he called me on the ground. I, mean, I, I apologize. I was like, hey man, like none of this was forecasted. Didn't see it coming. Um, sorry, I just didn't give you enough gas. And uh, he's like, hey man, you know, it happens. I'd rather be sitting here on the ground in New Orleans, get more gas than up there spinning circles with no gas. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, that's that's kind of that teamwork environment. We're all looking out for each other, and and sometimes we mess up. But um, you do what's safe. So oh, that's wow. what we did. And they they took off and then ended up going straight on in. The weather moved off. It was the it was the right call. It was just kind of embarrassing. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. I hope V1 Sim is was watching and listening to the opposite <laughs> section of the story over here. <laughs> let me ask. Let me ask something specific. What's the? Com- I remember when I when I used to work for the charter company, we would get on with ops on a specific frequency. Mm-hmm. But how do you guys communicate these days? Is it still radio or is it CPDLC? What kind of communications do you guys do now with the airplanes that you fly or that you um, you know you service? We got a couple different a couple different ways. Um, for us on our side, the way we see it, it's like almost like an instant messenger. It's just a, you open up a little window called ACARS mm-hmm. and um, type in your message, hit send. Goes to the airplane and you know and the Airbus will pop up company message and they go to the at Sue AOC menu and receive messages as you know now thanks to the Phoenix <laughs> and right, yeah, uh, that's amazing the fact that you said that uh, and I, I pictured exactly where to go. Hey, l- hold on, let, let me let me give Flyby Wire some credit because they're the first ones I see with yeah. it. Yes, and yes, so, yes, yeah, 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 yeah I, do, yeah. I do wish that Phoenix would implement that free text that Flyby Wire has. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty cool. Mm. But uh, but yeah, so we just um, we can message them with a cars, and uh, we also have the ability. We'll contact this company called Airing, and we'll let them know what airplane we're needing to talk to. We'll give them the cell call. So you know, like when you're looking inside the airplane, and say the Phoenix, you got the little cell call on the dash. Well, every airplane has their own cell call, and so we give that code to this company. They're like, all right, we'll call you back. We'll get them patched into you. A few minutes later, hey, this is New York Airing. We've got whatever. Airplane on the line for you. All right, patch them through. And put them on. And now we're sitting in our office talking to an aircraft cruising 
wherever. I mean, they can be it's, like, I don't know, over Panama, Central America, and we can be chatting with them. Um, so those are our two primary ways. If they're on the ground, uh, if they're at a station that we have, um, like we have some stations we can listen to, to ops frequency, so we can chat with them on there. Um, but for the most part, it's going to be ACARS, and when we if if ACARS isn't working, we can we can hit them up on the on the op center radio. What about nice. ATC? Do you guys communicate at all with ATC? A little bit. If um, usually it's going to be like I don't know if if I had a flight and then they um, had a maintenance issue and they they swapped the aircraft onto another airplane that works. Um, if it's within a certain time frame of departure time, I'll have to call tower I'm like, hey, this is Blake at dispatch. Can you uh, pull the strip for da da da? And they'll pull the strip for me. Sometimes we'll have to we can we'll chat with them a little bit more intricately depending on what the scenario is. But we don't talk to them a whole lot. It's mainly just going to be like pulling flight strips or or if uh, I don't know they're they have the airport configured whatever direction. And for us, it's killing us on the takeoff performance. So we might need a specific runway so we can get off the ground and not have to kick passengers off. Um, we can call tower and be like, hey, here's the situation we're looking at. Is it possible for us to take off of this runway? And usually they're like, yeah, man, it's not a problem. You might have to wait 15 minutes, you know, blah, 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 mm. but we can get you all out of there. So we kind of, we, we do chat with them a little bit here and there, and we can, we can coordinate with them when we, when we need to. But for the most part, um, I mean, everything is so electronic these days. Our flight plans are filed electronically. Um, we can even cancel the flight plan electronically if it's not within a certain amount of time from departure time, which I prefer because it just saves me a phone call. But um, other than that, we don't really have to chat with them too much. I will say this. This was this was kind of eye-opening for me. Um, and it goes on, too, to show like the, the experience that we have in our office within our dispatch group. Um, but I, I've got a good buddy of mine who uh, he used to be Memphis Tower controller. And now he's a dispatcher with us. Um, I had an issue with um, a particular tower. I, I guess I won't call the tower out, but um, <laughs> but it was like fog had set in, and they swapped the airport around, landing where there's higher minimums. Plus, there were notums for uh, cranes that were up, which increased the minimums even even worse. And so they're trying to land airplanes on this side of the airport. And, already knew like they're going to go around and sure enough they start going around i was like why are they doing this like you got a, a standard cat one ils on the other side it'd be a slight tailwind but we can do it if they would swap it back around we'll land so i called tower and i was like yo getting pretty busy huh and they were like yeah what do you need because you know tower controllers are always like Bleh. um <laughs> and i told them i was like hey like the minimums landing to the west are far higher than if we go back to the east if y'all swap the airport back around then we can start getting planes in again. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 we're working on it. We're working on it. Like, yeah, you didn't. You're not working on it. <laughs> Hopefully they are now. So uh, <laughs> sure enough, they swapped the airport around, and, and all the airplanes started getting in. Um, so I talked to my my buddy, and I was like, why why would they swap the airport? And he's like, dude, tower controllers, like, they're not – they don't know the minimums. They don't know the plates. They don't look at the plates. All they know is turn the airport into the wind. Mm. Oh. Very good to know. So wow. – yeah, wow. I always figured, you know, they knew the minimums just as, as much wow. as the pilots would. But that's why you'll hear tower controllers ask the pilots, like, hey, what do you need to land? They don't really know. Plus, every airline is different. And they have, like, some airlines are approved for certain uh, approaches and others aren't. Um, stuff like that. So they, 
it's it's probably a little bit useless for them to know to some extent. We need but, to get these controllers into flight simming, man. Give them some IFR flights and fly. Right? Oh wow, <laughs> this is good. How dare you tell the people how to do their job, man? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, it's like the I think the week before that same exact same scenario and the exact same airport happened, except it happened right um right after I got off work, and I, I don't know. They never swapped the airport back around, so I checked flight radar. And there's a Congo line of diversions <laughs> to Orlando. Um, it was coming from South Florida. I think Miami was diverting. Lauderdale was diverting for fog. So it was just a Congo line of American Airlines, like triple sevens and seven eights and everything in wow. between um, on their way to, to Orlando. So whenever I saw this happening again, I was on shift this time. I was like, you know what? I'm just like, I'm not, I don't want diversions and I want to go home on time. So nice. I call it tower. I'm sure they didn't appreciate it, but I don't care. It's about getting airplanes on the ground and getting people where they need to go safely and legally. And we made it happen that night. So basically, so, you're uh, you're you're up there batting for the guys who are flying. You're going to bat for them before you even get. Right. Man. And it's kind of funny because I, I did pull up wow. uh, liveatc.net and started listening to them talk <laughs> after I talked to Tower, and they were doing the same thing. Like, well, you know, if you turn the airport back around, we could get in. So, Whoa. especially when you got the pilots start saying it, the, the controllers start to listen. They don't, they're not going to listen to us. We're peasants. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. This is... I got pl pl this is good stuff, Blue. It is. I got plenty, plenty of questions from chat. One real quick mm -hmm. one. Somebody was saying, are you guys in charge of handling or handing out the zero fuel weight, or is it all rounded up from the fuel and passengers and cargo, et cetera? How does that work? It's the latter. So it's all based off of, um, and I'm sure every airline kind of does things differently. Um, mm -hmm. We have like our SOPs, kind of like how all pilots from different airlines have their own SOPs. Um, but for us, it's uh, so we'll take the the book number of passengers, which is already in there, um, and then I think they plan for one bag per passenger, and the bag weights and the passenger weights change whether it's winter time or summertime. Um, but it's all pretty automated. The system knows how many passengers are booked. It'll calculate um, what the the estimated zero fuel weight is based off of how many passengers with a bag each. Um, and yeah, that's mess pretty much it. It's just fed into the system. We we can see how many passengers are booked. We can see what the estimated zero fuel weight is. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's just, it's in there and we just calculate with it. Jeez. There will be times that when the zero fuel weight is heavier or lighter, we'll have to go manually um, put in the zero fuel weight, the actual zero fuel weight that they have on board, along with their fuel on board. And we can um, run some calculations or reset whatever they, they need done. But for the most part, the zero fuel weight stuff is just automated. It's thrown in there. The way yeah. I like to think about it, I've recently started flying for a um, a virtual airline and in there they uh they tell you what the planned passenger load is so i'll in a way it's kind of like the same thing it's booked passengers so then whenever i'm in sim brief i'll go throw in that passenger count and then maybe a little bit of cargo too to to kind of like play off the bags um but yeah it's essentially the same thing I have so many questions. Oh yeah, <laughs> one, 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 one real quick. How ac how accurate is SimBrief? I was going to ask that. That's what it was. Compared to the have, real world stuff, I've actually sat at work and taken a real live flight plan and then pull up SimBrief and run it side by side. And there's always going to be little differences because there's like every every aircraft is different and, and like we have a, a whole engineering department that inputs like the, the per factor and, and a bunch of different stuff right. uh, for the airplane. So there's always going to be those little bit of differences, but SimBrief is surprisingly good. It's, it's pretty daggum close. I was very pleased with what I saw. I, uh, I've gone as far as to take 
um, like one of our live airplanes and take all of the weights that we that we have and, and make a profile in SimBrief and run it with the same numbers side by side with a live airplane and a virtual airplane. And it's like within three to 500 pounds on the, wow. on the burns and stuff. It's, it's pretty oh. good. I was wow. very, I was very wow. impressed. The only thing um, like I wish they could implement with SimBrief is like uh, being able to tell it how much fuel you want to land with. Cause that's a big thing um, that, that we do. We have like a minimum amount of planned fuel per aircraft type that has to be, they have to have a minimum of this quantity. And, um, sometimes if I'm going to like, if I don't really have a reason for gas in my virtual world, I want to land with 5,500 pounds of gas, but then with SimBrief, they don't have that functionality. So I'm having to like go just constantly change my, my contingency fuel or my extra fuel, um, to make it land with what I want. So I wish there was like a little bit more functionality just as a, only because I'm a dispatcher and I know this stuff exists, mm -hmm. but, um, like as dispatchers, there's a lot more that we can do software wise than like SimBrief. But I understand where SimBrief has to be. It's gotta be simple for, you know, just the average user. But um in real life dispatch, we can tell we can plan the land with a certain amount of gas. We can tell it like extra uh extra fuel in in time, extra fuel in pounds, um tanker. I mean there's there's all kinds of stuff. We can speed up, slow down the CI, which you can do in SimBrief. Um I mean, there's just a lot more control that we can do. And we can do like en route airborne calculations, whereas you can't really do that with SimBrief. Um, holds, um, diversions. If I want to run a calculation from like a waypoint, let's say I mean, we're, we're flying on VATSIM and for whatever reason we're having to hold at whatever fix, I want to run what my fuel is from that fix to maybe the airport I'm about to divert to. Can't do that on SimBrief. I think some of that you can do on PFPX. PFPX is is quite a bit more in depth, um, but a lot clunkier to play with too versus SimBrief. SimBrief is just so like quick and easy, you know. And plus, every every airplane for the most part, you can just bring your flight plan into it, which makes life a lot easier. Good. So, uh, real quick, guys, if you're just joining us, um, we're talking to Ron Sag Simulation here, uh, real life dispatcher. And he's just giving it some insight that got my mouth wide open, like, yo. <laughs> so, in the description of the video, of the live right now, uh, either Blues or Minds, there's a website, I'm sorry, there's a YouTube channel for Wrong Side Simulation. Go ahead and go subscribe to his channel right now. Just take a second, go hit it, hit the sub button. He deserves every single member he can get on that channel. Oh, and then while you're at it, in mine and Blue's channel, there's also the link to the new home of the Blue Experience uh, podcast. It's called the Blue Experience Media. It's another YouTube channel. We're going to be coming on there live next week with lots of giveaways and stuff. We'll talk about that later. So go join um, Blake's channel the um, <clears throat> wrong side simulation and go join the, the blue experience i want to see all you guys in chat we're watching right now i'm watching the numbers on the new channel for blue experience it needs to go up a little bit blake's also you need to man blake you're a wealth of information man you're you mm -hmm. absolutely are blue i, I know you got tons it. of questions i'll uh, shut up now I'll, i have questions before i get to my questions i feel like every time we bring in another content creator or streamer i always have an idea i feel like this should be a tradition for now on. i need to give a new idea to people when they come in if they have channels. I have a video idea for you, wrong side. You should make, oh, okay. if, if you have time, I'm not sure how mm -hmm. you feel about making videos, but I think you should make a video yeah. about, it. this is the title, Real World Airline Flight Dispatcher Flight Planning Tutorial. Okay. 
I could do that. In fact, I've had that idea before and was going to actually yeah. started a video. And uh, it's just, it's so easy to go off the deep ends. There's there's so many intricacies to dispatching and, and so many different little things. A lot of it's regulatory, like when is an alternate required? And we use what's called the one, two, three rule. Hour before, hour after time of arrival, uh, less than 2,000 foot ceilings and less than three miles visibility, you require an alternate. Hmm. Um, there's also exemptions to that that are like, uh, airlines are approved for, but that is like the reg in the FAA is like, in fact, I think it even says that you are required to have an alternate no matter what, well, not no matter what, but you're always required to have an alternate unless it is above those conditions. Mm. Um, it's kind of weird verbiage, but that's, that's the weird thing with dispatch too, is a lot of what we do is, is like um, verbiage and interpretation of FARs and, like and, and there's a million different ways. Like in the dispatch room, we all do the same thing very differently. It's it's wicked. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've I've actually thought about doing one of those. And like I said, I started doing it, and I just got so much down the deep end. I was like, yeah, let's. This is like very advanced. Like nobody's gonna understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, but listen, but listen. Like I got somebody so in the cool. chat saying right now, like please go off the deep end. Like there's a lot of people out there, and here's the thing: is there's there's already tutorials out there that exist mm -hmm. on flight planning. That's for people who don't go off the deep end mostly. But right. what I think me and I think a lot of the community would love to hear and understand because right now we just use SimBrief. We we drop in this you know start stop you know and boom we got numbers. But we don't really yeah. understand what's happening in between there and why it's happening. As you just mentioned, SimBrief is pretty close to accurate. You know, it's not perfect, but it's, it's pretty good for a simulation. Um, but if you could, like, break down, like, hey, listen, I'm going to make a flight plan. I'm not using SimBrief, but mm -hmm. I can show you why you're getting these numbers and blah, blah, blah. So I think it'd be dope. But I'm going to go on to my question. Um, so how much, because uh, you mentioned software earlier for Flight mm -hmm. Dispatcher, how much of flight dispatching is actually automated um well that depends on the airline and what what software they're used or they use um the one that we use is pretty automated um it's it's good and it's bad at the same time it can make the software a little clunky uh you want to tell it to do something specific but it won't do it it's mm. really irritating and you have to like go start all the way over from the beginning kind of preset your flight, how you want it to do it, and then go to like, if it's an in-route calculation, go to what's called flight follow and make your in-route calculation. But if you don't go back to the, the beginning, it's not going to work. Mm. Um, but for the most part, it, what it, what our software does, uh, three hours prior to departure, it'll make a run through and it will, on a basic way, kind of determine what it thinks it should, it should plan. So if an alternate's required, it can tell, it'll, it'll plan an alternate. Um, it'll, Choose the best runway with winds, and also read the notams and know if that if runways are open or closed. So it'll should plan a open runway, hopefully. Um, and it'll also depending on depending on where it's at, uh, like what the city pair is. Um, like if you're doing Florida to the northeast, like there's there's not going to be many routes. ATC is very strict on routing because it's such dense airspace. But if you're going out west or coming from out west, you pretty much have the freedom to route however you like because mm. uh, it's not nearly as dense airspace. So the the, the software will choose what it thinks is the best um, optimized route with the best winds. But I will say a lot of times I can look at the little route map and just it'll have the winds aloft, like the little wind barbs going across. 
I can look at it like, mm, no, like that's, I can eyeball it until I can make this a faster flight by just cutting out one or two fixes, catch a little bit better of a tailwind and shorten the distance a little bit. And we're, uh, we're saving some block time. Mm. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty automated. It'll go through and it'll do what it thinks needs to be done. And I kind of look at that as like a general outline. I'll take into consideration what it did. Um, but at the same time, you're talking about intricacies with, um, with dispatch. Airports themselves have their own little quirks. Um, like, for example, L.A. does, uh, after midnight local, they do this noise abatement procedure where <clears throat> they land to the east but depart to the west. And they also have this one very particular arrival called the Midnight 2 because it starts around midnight mm. um, that you have to put them on for noise abatement. Problem is like a lot of the afternoon guys who aren't there late enough to see this, don't know about it. So then they don't plan it. They give me the flight and the captain who's flown into LA a gajillion times is like, Hey, they're going to put us on the midnight too. And we're going to be landing to the East. We're going to have to go all the way out over, over the water and come back. It's going to eat like thousand, twelve hundred pounds of extra gas. So you didn't give me enough gas kind of thing. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> it's like learning those intricacies and what, what each airport, what its quirks are and that kind of stuff. And once and it always just comes with experience and, and repetitions of planning flights and making mistakes, getting your teeth kicked in by ATC reroutes whenever you didn't plan the right route or something, and you'll learn, and then you'll know how to correct it. So mm-hmm. I kind of look at it as an outline. I'll take consideration what it did, but through my experience and knowing, like, this is definitely, we're not going to do this because ATC is not going to like it. We're going to do this instead. So... So uh, a member in the chat called V1 Simulation says, I still don't know what exemption 3585 is. I just trust the dispatcher. 3585. <laughs> what, what is that? What is he talking about? So if, uh, oh gosh, now I'm in like a, I'm in an oral with the FAA. Here we go. Let's go. <laughs> Sorry, man. No, it's, uh, so 3585 um, is an exemption. You got coworkers for... watching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I should let them answer in the chat. <laughs> true, 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 I'll keep my license. Um, but no, it's uh, so in the event that you have like our, we're dispatching a flight to uh, an airport that has um, it has visibility that's forecasted lower than published minimums, um, but it's in a in a tempo or like a prop 30. We can send it. We there are criteria. We have to plan two alternates, stuff like that. But we can send the uh, we can send the flight. Now, let's say that it's not a prop 30 or a, or a tempo. Um, it's in the main body of the TAF, then you can't send it if it's below minimums. So um, then you're going to have just to delay the flight. Usually it's a tempo for the most part, depending on where you're going. Um, if you're going to Atlantic City, that stuff will sit there forever. Yeah, but uh, like a temporary, right? Yeah. Like you see, okay. a tem- if you're looking at TAF, you see a tempo, it'll right. give you like a time frame. Um, so if it's a tempo, if it's, uh, if, if it's in tempo, then uh, yeah. You can, you can send the flight. Just got to have two alternates and stuff like that. And if if you don't know, as a dispatcher, we got lots of manuals that you get to search through until you can find the answer to mm. what it is. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the other. That's probably one of, and I should tread lightly saying this, <laughs> my next role I'm going into. But um, I mean, I've always been good with like the airplane stuff and and general dispatching. But whenever I struggle to like, okay, what is 3585? Let me go look that up to so make sure I don't mess this flight plan up. Used to, I've gotten a lot better over it or a lot better at it over the past like year, two years or so. 
but like digging into the manuals and finding what that is so I can do this right used to take me a while and I wasn't the best at it. Getting better. Getting better. But um but yeah there's man there's we got manuals upon manuals and if you need to know the answer to something you can find it. It might take you a hot minute. But hopefully you'll know like kind of what manual to go into. So basically you're all you're all just learning on the job nonstop all the different oh, yeah. things. Oh man. yeah. Wow. Man, like you you learn something new just about every day. You see something new every day um but it's it's a it's a really fun job we see a lot of interesting stuff especially when it comes to um like passenger behavior mm. is that what a you is that what a uap is or is that something different somebody says have you had an experience with uap handling uaps and differing in flights i don't know what that is but yeah i'm not sure either okay go ahead but yeah if they can, us, if they can you, say what that what the abbreviation means i might know i got you but, but um, let's talk about the passenger stuff because that's a big deal and you yeah know. we see some crazy stuff um you know we'll pretty often especially on the night shift and especially flights coming out of vegas where everybody's <laughs> been partying mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll get a lot of law enforcement requests um so we'll you know if captain says hey we're having issues with this uh this passenger he's intoxicated and he's doing xyz we needed law enforcement upon arrival. Cool. So we'll call up ops and say, hey, you know, this flight, they got this passenger in this seat. They're doing this. We need to get the cops involved. So we'll do that. Um, yeah, so we, 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 we see some passengers doing some pretty wild things, stuff that may not be internet approved to even talk about. <laughs> oh, my word. Especially coming out of Vegas or New Orleans. Okay, I, you, you have to, before you leave, at least share us with, you know, one story that you can say. Uh, something crazy oh, or unbelievable that that you've—I mean, obviously you didn't witness it because you're not on the aircraft, but like something mm-hmm. that has gone through the process with you. Um, not too long ago, I had um, <laughs> I sat down, I took a diversion or not a diversion, I took a flight from a coworker. As soon as he walks out the door, message pops up and says, uh, "I think they were leaving L.A. They're like diverting to Phoenix." Um, suspicious. Or a possible, uh, possible BOMB. I don't want to say the B word. Um, <laughs> but moved it to the least risk bomb location. Every aircraft has a least risk bomb location. For that. Yeah, it was L5174. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So they, they put it there. They stacked all, right. all the bags on top of it. And they're like, we're diverting to Phoenix. I'm like, oh, this is a great day or a great way to start the day. Um, yeah, so they had to land the airplane. I called Tower and was like, yo, uh, where do y'all want to put these guys so I can let them know before they land where y'all, where y'all want them? Um, but yeah, they, they put them in a specific spot, had the passengers bring all the, the shades down so they wouldn't see, um, law enforcement and canines and all this stuff getting ready to board the airplane. Wow. Um, yeah. And it turned out to be kind of nothing. It was a guy who was, um, bipolar and was just having an episode and, and he was asking questions he shouldn't ask. Oh, and wow. he kept, uh, he was kind of acting suspiciously with a particular bag. So they went the safe route and. Like, hey, we're going to declare emergency and, and divert and get this sorted out. So I've had that. In fact, my very first day ever soloing on the dispatch desk when I was at my at my last company at Trans States, um, had a had a uh, a bomb threat. And so I get the A cars and the the captain was like, oh, we're diverting, we got bomb threat, blah blah blah. I was like, this is day one. I don't know what to do, supervisors, <laughs> y'all. Bring somebody else in. Oh, y'all, yeah, but um. Yeah, I mean, it's just usually, it's like, it's the typical stuff. People trying to vape 
in the laugh. Um, mm. and then like they want to be combative after that, or people are just drunk or kind of coked up or something like that. Um, we see a lot of different medical situations. Um, most of them, not a big deal. Sometimes they sound really bad. And then the, the medical doctor on the phone is like, yeah, not a big deal. You know, just give them a sugary beverage and, and whatever, continue. No big deal. So, uh, we see a lot of that every now and then we'll get some, you know, some pretty bad medical stuff. We have to divert whatnot, but wow, that's just kind of the, I mean, you, just, you never know what you're going to get whenever you, when you, uh, when you dispatch, I guess life's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> here's a, here's a question. Here's a question from Tyler. He was like, yeah. um, why are there so many last minute cancellations lately in the industry and how have those affected you as a dispatcher? How does it come about? How does, yeah, how does those come about? Or you know, what what's on the hell's dispatch going on? side? Um, mm -hmm. Makes our life easy. Those flights just go away, <laughs> and we don't have to work them. Um, so, uh, but that's the kind of the crappy thing because we're literally the only person that benefits from cancellations because mm -hmm. everybody else it screws them over. Between the crew, the the shift coordinators who are they are responsible for the logistics of the airline. Um, so they have to keep the airline moving. And when you start getting cancellations and you get crews timing out because whatever, um, their life sucks. Obviously passengers' lives suck for us on dispatch. It's like, well, it's canceled. So I got nothing to do right now. Um, it's, I was going to say it's similar for ramp. If you're on the cancel side, like if the plane is not there with you, then you ain't got to do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and it was there with you, and like cancels. Now you gotta go pull all the bags out of the cargo bin, and yeah, it's oh, gotta it's tow it somewhere. It's bad if you're on, yeah, yeah on that side. Yeah, go wow. continue. But it's, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't. We were talking about it at work the other day. I can't remember why they were saying everybody was canceling. We, my airline, hasn't really been canceling at all. Um, and I think one was like a pretty big computer glitch. Um, I won't name the airline, but um, <laughs> there's a pretty big computer glitch that affected like true network. It was like a true network type, um, it issue. Um, ooh, I think the other one was kind of the same. And it, the issue allowed pilots to basically drop trips and then like ended up having nobody to fly oh, because geez. of the, the issue. Wow. And the pilots didn't know that, that this was happening. They were just like, Oh, I can drop this. And they, they were dropping it. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, other than that, I mean, obviously we, there's a lot of stuff, uh, short staffing issues going on, and that's like anywhere from ramp to dispatch to pilots, flight attendants, controllers. I think just about every day we're having issues with um, Jack Center. Uh, they're having some short staffing stuff, so they're having to put out some airspace flow programs that that cause some pretty big delays for that, which big delays will turn into cancellations because crews time out, not legal to fly. We don't have crew replacements, you know, whatever. It's all the logistical stuff. There's there's so many moving parts. Like the, the office that I sit in, you got dispatch. You've got uh, shift coordinators that they are handling the logistics of the airline. You got crew schedulers. You got maintenance control. You got guest solutions. Um, God, what else? I mean, there's there's just like so many moving parts going on. We're, like, we're literally, I literally sit in the beating heart of the airline. And uh, all it takes is one little thing to happen and all those moving parts quit moving in that synchronized way and then things can fall apart. But which, um, which, Yeah, which leads me to my question because we're talking about when we just started the chat, we're talking about this as a alternate airline career that a lot of people don't even think about or hear about or know how to access it. And you explained that to us. But is would you say this is a stressful job, not stressful moments of of 
sheer terror or moments of boredom? What was the job itself like? Oh, Would you man. recommend it? It's, it's so funny you ask that. It's, um, it can have its periods of stress, especially like when, when, when weather gets really bad and you have like four, six airplanes holding and you're having to do the burn calculations for all of those and the Ooh. software is like not the best. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not that it's not good. It's just not as like fast and as intuitive as I would like it to be. Um, <clears throat> so then like, yeah, it's, it's getting pretty stressful cause you're, you about to start having flights divert all over the place. I can be getting my teeth kicked in with all sorts of effect that's happening to me last night. I had uh, two flights coming into San Juan, isolated cell, sat on the field and on the approach. Um, and so I'm trying to work that out, and we're we're kind of limited on on alternates down in the, in that part of the Caribbean. Um, most of the alternates can be kind of far, so um, I'm trying to deal with that. And I had some other stuff going on, like some other logistical stuff going on, which just causing a pain in the butt. Dude sitting next to me has got his feet kicked up. <laughs> it's like, come on, man, I, I want to <laughs> kick my feet up too. But uh, <clears throat> but I was training, so it was actually pretty good that all that stuff happened, so that my trainee could see live all these things unfold. Um, so yeah, it, it can be stressful. It can be brain-numbingly boring at times, depending, like, if, especially, like, in the spring and in the fall when weather's good, turbulence is, like, not a factor. It's pretty much just send the flight plans and just kick back and watch them. And you don't really have to talk to the, the crews very much and warn them about weather and all. It's just, like, you're just kind of there. So it can be it can be uh, pretty boring. It can be very stressful. It just depends on the day and the weather and, and what's going on. In fact, you can have a beautiful day weather-wise. And then just logistical things start happening. Things start falling apart. And now your whole desk is just messed up because of whatever logistical stuff's happening in the airline. Gotcha. And any difference between passengers versus cargo on this? Um, oh, yeah. Ma- you know, major? Um, I mean, passengers get drunk, act fool, cause uh, air returns sometimes. Uh, um, boxes don't. Um, <laughs> You know, it's just it's it's a big difference between like a, a passenger airline and a cargo airline. It's just the fact that like sometimes we might have to hold a flight if we have like a lot of passengers that are that might misconnect. Sometimes if it's, if I don't know, we got a big group of folks, we'll hold the flight. Um, you don't have to do that for boxes. I don't. I wouldn't think. Um, <clears throat> man, and boxes don't complain about landings. Although I will say this, and I hope V one's still listening. Um, <laughs> at my time. With where I'm at, um, at my company, uh, we have a really good reputation for really smooth landings. Really nice. Smooth. So um, that's nice. Cool. We don't have to listen. If if we have if we have good pilots that are really good at landing, then you don't have passengers that are whining and complaining about the the landing too much. Really, passengers actually do that? Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> really? I, 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 I mean, I've heard stories. I haven't I haven't really seen it for myself because every time I'm in the jump seat, it's a uh, ultra smooth landing and usually it's a passenger walking by and they're like they're telling a flight attendant out loud like oh tell the tell the pilot it was such a great landing but like you know they're kind of saying it loud to the captain or or fo whoever was flying nice. here nice. but uh yeah I have, i've never really jumped on, on my company i haven't really had any even like remotely rough landings nice. other airlines that i've jump seated on <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so yeah. the, just let's get it out straight. So as a dispatcher, you get to jump seat on basically all the U.S. major carriers. Correct. That's and for amazing. you guys don't know, for you guys don't know, jump seating is like not ID ninety, not discounted, but free as long as it's available. Yes. Seniority yes. and all that stuff. 
Yeah, right. I need to be a dispatcher right now. I'm done. Every every airline has different um, different procedures as far as jump seating goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if it's if it's full in the back, cause sometimes especially like on other airlines, if it's my company, I prefer to ride up front because I like to meet the pilots and get to know them and ask questions and then also kind of get their feedback. Like, what is it you don't like that we do and what can we do better as dispatchers? Um, but on other other companies where it's not my middle. If it's not, if it's if it's full in the back, I can ride up front. If there's an open seat in the back, usually I just go ride up there or go ride in the back. I've had times where where pilots were like, "Hey, you just want to come ride up front?" Yes, nice. Especially if it's a 757. Mm, um, nice. While those are still around, anyways. But uh, yeah. but yeah, any any domestic U.S. carrier, and that's any passenger as well as cargo. I can go jump seat on FedEx or UPS. Um, there's there's a few different stipulations, but I can definitely do it. Um, and we can also list for the jump seat on an international flight. Mm. Um, we'll just ride in the back. But I think leaving the States, it's free. When we come back, we just pay the taxes. Um, I, I've recently went down to Punta Cana, um, rode in the cockpit going down, coming back up. I was in the back free, although it was my company, but um, I didn't have to pay anything. Nice. So, uh, yeah, airplanes for us are just, I mean, they're cheaper than Uber because it's free. <laughs> they go a lot further oh, yeah. there's some really oh, yeah. good views up front too really good views a lot of a lot of cool stuff to see and um it's just it's so neat to like fly a plane like phoenix and then turn around and go sit in the real thing mm. and see how the real thing is done and see the similarities between the two it's just man it's it's, it's so much fun flight sim and, sorry go ahead i was gonna say if, if it wasn't for the flight sim in my opinion i wouldn't be sitting where i'm at right now Wow. Hands down. Thanks. Wow. That's, that's Flight amazing. Stem has, has been, that's which I'm, I'm kind of addicted to it like a, like a crack addict. Like <laughs> I get off a 10 hour shift and I come home and then I go fly a flight that I, that I dispatch. That's um, cool. Oh, nice. It's, it's, and it's, what's really cool too is like some airports do weird things. For example, Orlando, um, I'm sure V1 can attest to this. Uh, Orlando on ILS runway 18 right. They will hold you at 3,000 feet until you pass over Orlando Executive. Problem yeah. is, that's like seven miles from – it's probably actually close to like six miles from the threshold. But it's it's not very far, and the glide slope gets way below you. So now you have to plan accordingly as I far just, as the speed. I, I don't cut you. I just saw him do that approach and explain the exact same thing. Oh, uh, yeah? A couple of weeks ago, he was like, yeah, you got to hold it there, and then you got to like – I guess he was saying put everything out so you yeah, could you go get down. Dirty. You gotta get dirty quick. Yep. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. I'll tell you. It's, tomorrow. It's, good it's stuff. tough. I did it on my channel, um, I think a video or two ago. And it was the first, I mean, I've, I've tried it multiple times and I just never could, like, I never could get stable. Cause that's the other thing is you have to meet stable criteria. I think for Orlando is 1100 feet. You can't exceed a thousand feet per minute below 1100 feet. If you do you go around, which I actually did the day going into Denver. Um, but yeah, it's 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 very tight. By the time that you get to 1,100 feet, like you're you're just getting stable, at least with my pilot skill. Here here's a question for you, and two people ask this question. Shadow ask and and um, um also Phoenix J ask. It says, what's basically the starting salary, kind of roughly for a dispatcher? I guess it maybe varies by airline. And also, mm-hmm. is it enough to help pay for flight school to go back and fly? Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah. So. On average, if you go to like a 135, which is going to be your charter type operations, um, they usually don't pay as much as the airlines. It's going to be a lot smaller operation, and they're they're 
they do a lot more than just dispatch. They're like crew scheduling. They they do everything. Um, those guys, if I had to guess, probably starting at like 40, 50. I mean, times have changed with inflation and stuff. So I think places are paying a little bit more. In the airlines, um, at the regional level, um, like I know my buddy that's about to um, start at his company. I think they're starting at 20 an hour. Um, but you can, especially like as you, as you climb the, the pay scale and depending on the airline, you can make a lot of money. You can make quite a lot of money. Um, and I think there's guys at like the big four, especially like really senior dudes, they could probably be pushing four or 500,000 a year with overtime. Oh. And overtime is usually pretty abundant. Um, so to the, the second part of your question, you can absolutely pay for flight school. And I, I get asked that all the time by the pilots. So I'm just, I'm kind of settled in where I'm at. To me, flight dispatch is the happy medium between flying and not flying. I get to, my head is the same pillow every night, but I get to go ride in the cockpit when I want, et cetera. So I'm okay with it. But we do have uh, another one of my guys. Um, he is currently uh, paying for all of his uh, flight stuff with his salary. He just works a lot of overtime and then goes and flies. And uh, in fact, I think he's about to somehow, I don't know how, but buy his own airplane. Wow. So uh, that way he's not having to pay, you know, for the, for the flight school stuff himself. So yeah, you can, you absolutely can. It might take you a little, it might take you a little while and, and some experience to get to that point um, financially, <clears throat> but yeah, you can, you can absolutely do that. You can you can make a nice little chunk of change. So is it similar to uh, like I know on the ramp and other airport jobs, depending on the airline, you start at a certain you know amount and like yearly or bi yearly old kind of they add on and add on. Is it kind of like that? The same with flight dispatching? Yeah, we um most places just have a pay scale, and so like year one is this, year two is this. Um, usually like you'll have bigger jumps further into the pay scale uh for us i think year three is one of our one of our biggest um and a little bit further down the road but um yeah it's usually just a pay scale most airlines are unionized so you also have a union to to go to bat for you if you need to and, and that kind of thing but oh um, so the dispatcher job is a union job yeah some airlines are okay cool didn't know yeah that. not all of them but some i think most and do nice. you have to start uh, like on the regional level? Like when you become a dispatcher, similar to like pilots, a lot of times they start at the lower levels to get hours and whatnot. Is flight dispatching the same way, or can you go straight into a major airline? Um, <clears throat> for us, we have some folks that who were internal that came over with no experience. Um, it seems like that's usually the trend if they don't have any experience. Otherwise, you do need to have some experience from somewhere. So for me, it was it was the regional level. Um, I was training a guy today who I think he spent a couple years in operations. Um, then he went to a regional for about six months as a coordinator, which is still it's a whole different job from from dispatch. So essentially, no dispatch experience. Um, and he's sitting next to me getting trained. So. Yeah, yeah, you can for the most part. Um, I think most airlines well, these days, most I shoot, I think you can probably get into a major with maybe a year of experience. Now nice. we're talking like big four too. So is that experience oh, I mean, yeah. like like I mean years or are that calculated in hours? Like how is that calculated? Just years. Okay. Yeah, but you and typically they prefer Part One Twenty One, which is scheduled air carrier operations, so airline. Um, but like part 135 or you know, whatever kind of 
experience you have, it's always going to be taken into consideration. But they prefer 121 because there's there's just a lot more moving parts to a 121 operation than there is like a 135. Um, it's got like 121 has its own just it's its own environment, its own world, and so it's a little bit better if you if you've spent time in that world before coming to this one, you already kind of know what to expect and how things are structured. Nice, so. nice, absolutely. If you guys are just joining us, um, we got Blake on from Wrong Side Simulation, just giving us a wealth of information that we really never hear about. And, you know, we're loving it. So do me a favor again, um, go into the description of the of the um, show here today, either Blues or Minds, and give Blake a subscribe. Go sub to his channel. He deserves it. He, need, he, he, he deserves it. End of story. Also, in both mine and blues, I have mine pinned in my channel. Join the Blue Experience Media channel. It's a new YouTube channel that's going to be hosting this show going forward. Um, we're going to have all our back episodes on that, plus the future one's coming up. And also next week, we're going to have Orbix with a massive giveaway. We're giving away 10 products on that new channel. So go ahead and hit the sub button. So definitely join, join, join Wrong Side Simulations channel. The link is in the description and also the Blue Experience. This tool. We got what? Uh, between both of us, we have at least almost 200 people watching right now. So we need to get, we need to get at least 200 subs over there on the, on the Blue Experience <laughs> channel. Let's do that's it. You total, guys can do it. That's the total amount of my subs. I've got there you go. Don't worry. Yours is going to go up too when you wake up. It's Matter of fact, up. let's double wrong sides. Let's get him the fourth. Let's double wrong side subscribe at base here because now I'm now I'm going to go watch him fly when he's live because I want to see how he plans the next year's flights. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I want to see that, you know. And the, what Blue was saying earlier, wrong side about you making a video, you can also do it on a live stream. It's always yeah. recorded. You know, it's always there for posterity. Just know that that specific live stream is about the planning aspect of it. And then, of course, the execution. So I still think know. it should be a video. I mean, I'm, I'm a video I'm watcher. A video. <laughs> I'm I will make it a video. Don't you worry. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll, and I'll do both. And I've considered doing the... the in fact, I think I've done it a little bit, um, but doing like the, the pre-flight planning before jumping into the actual cockpit and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But um, also too, like there's every now and then, especially if I start getting questions. So if anybody who, who subscribes, you want to know more about Dispatch, feel free to subscribe. And when you see me live streaming, throw the questions at me. I'll answer them. If I don't, if I don't know the answer to them, I know a lot of people who will. Um, <clears throat> but there'll be like, I'll kind of deep dive like the OFP. And like, what's the difference between dispatch add fuel and extra fuel? What is men require takeoff fuel? What is that encompass? And da 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 da. Um, <clears throat> so there's there's a lot that I think I can teach on that side of things. That it and that's that's one reason too. I've always understood like why captain. No, I'm like, hold on, hold on, repeat that, repeat that. Kind of glitch in matrix. He says you want to know why captains. Oh, I know why captains make. Oh, just pilots in general, as far as like compared to dispatch, because I've, I've heard the argument. It's like, well, you know, we're 50% responsible for the flight. So like, should we make more than the first officer? I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, have you ever like watched them run through their memory items? Like there's so much more that just say the, the first officer, so much stuff that they have to know. And then you go to the captain. Not only does he have to know all the airplane stuff from like the limitations and the memory items and the flows and checklists and all that stuff, but he also has to know the company policy side. Like, okay, so this ATC reroute was over 100 nautical miles, so now we need an amendment for that. Or we climbed 4,000 feet or descended 4,000 feet. We need an amendment for that. So every time when something changes in route or on the ground, 
we might have to amend or like change the operational flight plan to reflect that. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a lot of different criteria for that. So you're throwing all that company stuff on top of all the pilot stuff. And there's there's a lot. And if you ever have the if you ever get the chance to go sit in a training sim and watch them do stuff that you hope you never see in real life, you'll you'll be blown away and be incredibly impressed with the the skills and the abilities that these guys have. Um, I think during COVID we had to go sit in the sim instead of doing our our yearly cockpit fam ride. Um, we had to do it in the sim. Man, we went to it was it was a law flight. Um, once we got into, I think we were doing most of our stuff in Burbank, and they were doing like V1 cuts coming out of Burbank, like kind of wild. I don't know if y'all know what a V1 cut is, but at V1 you lose an engine, and Burbank super short runway, mountainous terrain. Oh, there's a lot going on. They were doing wind shear. I mean, just all sorts of stuff. Lots of stuff that you pray to God you never see when you're sitting in the cockpit or sitting in the back. Um, and just the way that these guys like just roll through things. I mean, y'all see V1 and the way that he runs the lower ECAM. I try I did a V1 cut on my channel a couple episodes ago. I couldn't even I couldn't even get to the point to even read the ECAM actions. <laughs> I was just trying to fly and without like stalling a wing. Um so I mean those those guys, like it's it's unbelievable the stuff that they can do. But hold on, as a dispatcher, you get to sit on a familiarization flight in the cockpit. Yeah, How so we are required to do that once a year, and that that's the whole reason why we're able to jump seat in general. Um, yeah. is we're required to do five hours in the cockpit of each aircraft type that we dispatch, mm. um, for cockpit familiarization and just to be familiar with the cockpit environment and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, we do that once a year. Five hours is is what the FAA requires. That sounds like fun to me. I already see, I already see three people in chat changing their careers right now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun. A couple of years ago, I did, uh, I think I was last minute, because if you don't get your fam ride done within a certain amount of time from like your hire date, you are not, you're not able to dispatch your dequal until you get it done. Mm. Um, and so I was, it's kind of last minute for me. And the only thing I could find that was a round trip was Orlando to Las Vegas and back. Long day of flying, sitting in the cockpit for one. On top of that, I think from roughly Louisiana all the way to Vegas was like continuous, moderate turbulence, all altitudes. There was no getting out of it, and it just it beat us up the entire way. Really exhausting. Got to Vegas, sat there for two hours. Got back on the airplane to go back to Orlando. Uh, it was supposed to be a thirty, supposed to be thirty minutes shorter since we were going uh, with a tailwind. But then, of course, we had a maintenance issue on taxi out, so we had to like go park somewhere, call maintenance control, work that out, defer the item to avoid a gate return, and then take off. And it's still like from Vegas all the way to Louisiana, continuous moderate turbulence, all altitudes, just getting kicked around. It's not fun, wow. but still fun to be in the cockpit no matter what. And that's yeah. the cool thing too is like when in those scenarios, because as dispatchers, <clears throat> and that's one reason why I tell pilots I like being a dispatcher. Because they'll they'll complain like I used to be in a crash pad for uh, for quite a while, and they would always like uh, tell me these kind of things and like yeah man that's why I like dispatch because my chair don't move unless I tell it to. <laughs> <laughs> but um <clears throat> but nonetheless like that's one of those kind of operational things where they send us a message and they're like hey um you know the rides suck do you have any info you can give us on where better rides are at and we'll we'll do what we can to help um. 
So we, we try to be that, that eye in the sky to help them when they can because it sucks. When you're up there and just constantly getting kicked around. But, you know, you used to be a flight attendant. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, walking around and trying to hold on and look good at the same time and don't look freaked <laughs> out. Yeah, it's true. But, now, nah, man, this is, this is so interesting. Like, you know, career-wise, I'm telling you, you just unloaded a whole bunch of information on a lot of us that are rethinking it. You know, uh, Blue is on the ground. You're in ops. You know, a lot of us want to be pilots but can't do it. But there's options to do to get you in and around airport environment and doing the stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't get to touch the controls, but I get to speak the lingo. I get to be in the cockpit. I get to be part of the operation. And every now and then I get to go sit in the sim and fly the, the study level sim. So nice. Or I guess the level D sim would be the, the correct terminology, but yeah. uh, it, it's definitely a, a, a great happy medium between the quality of life. Like at, at my company, not all. In fact, I think we probably have the best schedule of all airlines in the U S but I can make my schedule essentially whatever I want. I work seven on, seven off. Um, we got people who will do four on, four off, five on, five off, whatever you want. They'll just go to your opposite. And if they're willing to swap, then we'll do swaps. And you can you can basically have off every other week and have a vacation every other week. And then because we fly for free, when you're off, go jump on an airplane and go somewhere. Go right. do something. And actually have enough money that you can actually go have a good time whenever you get there. That's one thing I had to remind a lot of people, like, oh, man, you get to fly for free. I'd be going all over the place. Yeah, but, you know, costs money. Once you get there, you got to get to the wherever you're going oh, and pay for where you're staying. And, yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah, I it, do. it is such a, a fun, but sometimes not fun, depending on what's going on. But, it, man, it's, it's a very rewarding, fun um, job. I mean, I, I, in my opinion, the aviation industry as a whole is the, is the best place to work. But I'm kind of biased, obviously, and I got lucky. I discovered the flight sim, and that kicked off my my passion, and and I get to go to work for fun, essentially. Nice. nice. What 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 kind of prerequisite or what kind of um, aptitude should somebody have if they want to become a dispatcher for the training that you did, you know, through the schooling? What are they looking for? What kind of people are they looking for? What what would benefit somebody to have going into it? I mean. It's a good question. I mean, a lot of it too would probably be defined by the airline themselves because there's other majors that I know of that like they're they like they look for a type A personality or yeah. you know something like that. Um, I mean, obviously you want to be pretty analytical, and it's kind of funny because I hate thinking. Um, but this entire job is all thinking and strategy and planning ahead. Um, so I don't I don't know how I ended up becoming a dispatcher, <laughs> but you want to be you know. Somewhat analytical, um, but I mean, you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. I definitely am not, and that's that's one like one of the things that keeps me super humble is I can just talk out loud while I'm training, and there's like another guy sitting next to me who's like, "Oh no, actually that's wrong. It's blah blah blah." I'm like, oh yeah, like there's there's such a wealth of knowledge all around us, and so many different experience types of folks, whatnot. We've got controllers, we've got pilots, we've got all kinds of stuff sitting in our room. Um, for us, we focus a lot, not only just obviously having a dispatch license and having some experience, but also personality. Cause we, when we're all sitting in the same room for 10 hours a day, we work 10 hour shifts and a lot of dispatching is what we call DRM dispatch resource management. So you kind of want everybody to click and mesh because 
I don't know everything. And I want to be able to turn around to the people around me like, hey, I don't know about this. What do you think? And because of that, we're a very tight-knit group. We all get along very, very well. Uh, we all really like each other, and we have fun when we when we work together. Every now and then, like, we'll bump heads or we'll have disagreements because there's so so many different things, I guess you could say, in, in dispatch that you can look at this and, and um, interpret it this way, and then this person interprets it this way, and then so on and so on. And you just kind of start bumping heads a little bit. But uh, nonetheless, when we're all, like, super close and and really good friends and i think that's because of how the company kind of prioritizes personality um and man and the other really cool thing with our group is we got we got people from all over the place like you want to talk about a melting pot our dispatch department is a hell of of a melting pot we got two folks from africa got one from egypt um jamaica bahamas peru Colombia. Nicaragua, <clears throat> where else? I mean, man, all over the place. Like it's it's so cool. Like like my buddy Rio. If you go back far enough into my my channel, you'll see a, a shared pilot video or a shared cockpit video. It's my buddy Rio. It's one of our fellow. Uh, and now he's an ATC coordinator, but was a dispatcher, and uh, from Malawi. Got a very very thick accent. <laughs> it's just like talking about uh, accents never... in that room <laughs> right <laughs> oh, word. So it's just good. it's so cool to like meet all these people from all over the place and and become really good friends and and just the the wealth of knowledge that everybody's got I mean, we got like i think two or three controllers and um we got guys that have like fixed wing licenses and rotary licenses and, and just all, all sorts of stuff it's it's if you if you try to get a big head in there you'll you'll get grounded pretty quick right so there's right. always somebody that knows more than you Oh yeah. Some, oh yeah. Some fashion. Do you have to be good at numbers to be a dispatcher? No. Otherwise, I would not be a dispatcher. <laughs> I was asking for myself because I'm not great with numbers. I'm like, this is one of those things that might kind of be a deal breaker for me. And I feel like someone out there definitely, you know, can relate. So you're saying no? Yeah. Um, in dispatch school, that's where you're going to be challenged the most with numbers. We, when I was in dispatch school, we used this thing called a whiz wheel. And if you don't know what it is, you should look it up. It's some like little paper thing and it helps you do some calculations. My buddy that's in dispatch school now has an aeronautical calculator. Didn't know they existed. What? Um, yeah, it's, it's called an aeronautical calculator. Googling I have no idea now. how you'd and use you, it. And you had to use a whiz wheel. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Wow. Never again would everyone go to whiz wheel. But, um, nice. but yeah, so like in dispatch school, it'll take you roughly two hours to plan a flight um from doing your like aircraft performance and and weight and balance center of gravity all those calculations which are pretty big formulas um to the flight planning stage it'll it'll take you about two hours to to plan a flight in real life on like on a very easy flight where there's not really anything to take consideration like three minutes Wow. What? Okay. Little thing we like to call computers. And uh, if it wasn't for those, I would not be a dispatcher because I am terrible at math and I'm terrible with numbers. I'm I can I can handle zero fuel weight is one fifteen point five compared to one seventeen point six. I can I can handle those numbers a little bit. Other than that, when it comes to like math, I'd be out the game. Good to know. So, no. Good to know. I don't. And what's the difference between flight dispatch? and load planning uh so that's a good question because we don't i don't think we really have much of load planners and if we 
do. I don't know if your airline does that. I'm just wondering. Yeah, I think for the most part, because obviously, like, I know Delta has load planners, ALAs, um, back whenever I worked with them. But for the most part, like, we're planning the flight in general. So we're planning cruise outs to the route, fuel. Um, We're taking into account, like, MELs and CDLs that that may degrade the performance of the aircraft. Um, Taking all that into account, whereas I think just the cargo loading agent is going to, he's going to be the one responsible for making sure that the cargo is loaded in the appropriate cargo bins and aircraft is within CG and, and stuff like that. Gotcha. And then he gives you the numbers and you plug that into your computer and stuff. Right. So they'll, mm-hmm. they'll bring up the sheet of paper to, um, to the crew, which I think we actually just went to uh, like an automated ACARS version to make things a little bit better. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so they, they kind of, they'll put in like this many bags in this compartment, like you got standard, you got heavy freight if you got any freight that kind of stuff and then also the gate agent brings up um another similar form that tells uh you got this many passengers you got adults and children in this zone adults children this zone da 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 they plug that in into their um aoc performance and they get their zero fuel weight zero fuel weight cg um i mean everything their flaps flex packs on um accelerate stop distance remaining um, all that stuff, engine fail procedure. Well, I guess that's a little bit different, but they get all their information from that. And that is started by the cargo load agent or just whatever ramper brings it up to them. So what did you think of that feature in the Phoenix where it shows the landing distance? Um, I, <clears throat> I like it. I think it could be a little better, but I don't know if maybe they wanted to make it simple just for like the average user. Um, I honestly don't ever really use it. Um, I just plug in, you know, the weather and all that kind of stuff. Um, and plus I'm doing, if you ever watch my channel, I try my best to do the same like flows, checklists and briefings that our guys do in the cockpit. And with that, that has me looking at the airport diagram, looking at what, how much actual usable runway I'm going to have and that kind of stuff. Um, so every now and then I'll I'll go use it. If it's a really short room, like the other day I flew into Orange County, I used it then to see what my landing distance available was going to be and that kind of stuff. But if for the most part, if it's a, a longer runway, I just I don't really use it. That's just me. <laughs> Somebody in the chat says the real question is I I have does the extra one or two pounds over fifty in my car my check bag makes much of a difference? <laughs> to the airline, yeah, it's um, cumulative and gas burn. I think, yeah, exactly. And you know, also you know the airlines in the business are making money, so they make those lines in the sand so they can you know make more money where they can. But yeah, it all comes down to the weight and increase in fuel burn. Gotcha. For sure. Gotcha. Wow. So, man, look, you sure you sure do have a very interesting job that I never I've been in and around ops agents, but I never took the time to find out what these guys do and how they do it. And yeah, and you'll you'll likely never see us. And that's the thing yeah. is if you're getting on a flight, that flight the whole process for that flight started hours ago. Mm-hmm. Like we usually plan flights on average two hours before departure time. They've already got somebody that's deep diving the weather and the rides and notums and all of it way before you're probably even checked in. Well, maybe before you're at the airport. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, it's nobody knows about us. And that's kind of why I wanted to take this opportunity to try to share what we do. And, and again, if somebody can't fly, take a look at this. It's uh, 
I'd say it's it's equally as fun. And if you make enough money that if you want to go get your privates or your private instrument, whatever you want to get, you'd have the money to, to go do it on that level if you don't want to go the full, you know, commercial aviation route. So uh, anybody out there listening, take a look at uh, Flight Dispatch. There Definitely. should be some sort of flight dispatch school around you. If there's not, they do offer, um, like I know my school, IFA, they offer online classes. I have another friend of mine here um, in Orlando. He's taking online classes, which I can't really imagine doing that because some things, a lot of things, you kind of just need an instructor there to show you and explain why. Um, but more power to him. He's he's got a He's got a business and stuff he has to run, so he's kind of tied on like being able to travel somewhere for school. But uh, they got online classes. They have night classes. That's what you need. Then they have like full-time classes where you're in class from eight to four or five, something like that. And it's only five weeks, five to six weeks. Bury your nose and knock it out and be set for life. Wow. Blue. Yeah. I think we have. I think we have one of them classic episodes right here, man. Yeah, I, think I this, agree. I'm gonna go back and listen to this too. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I have I have one more question. I think this is the most important question that we've we're gonna ask the entire stream, and that mm -hmm. is, what is your preferred sim? Oh God. Microsoft Flight Sim. Oh boy. I, I'm a little different from y'all. I came from FSX and then prepared. Um, oh. And because I had invested so much money into add-ons. I never made the jump to X-Plane until I started streaming um, and the fly-by-wire just kind of got old and it was like every episode was fly-by-wire. Right. It's like, you know what? Let me uh, let me go jump on that Tolus and the, and the Flight Factors and Zebo and Level Up. And so I, I did go that way. And, and I, I know, Blue, I've told you this before that, you know, like because of you, I met Captain Shaquille O'Meal. Um, my boys, like thanks to him, he taught me all x-plane stuff because i had no idea <laughs> and now it's kind of cool because now somehow managed to get him into microsoft flight sim and now i can repay the so the, is uh, the that why he's in microsoft flight sim lately you, you're the thing i had a little bit part of it <laughs> <laughs> nice but um yeah for me it's it's microsoft flight sim and and i knew at some point once these once the like the more study level in-depth airliners came along and we're going to see the full potential of the sim although i will admit too I don't know if y'all have noticed this or not, but it seems like there's like what happened to thunderstorms? There's no lightning, not hearing any thunder. They turned, like, it, the down, they, they turned it down a bit. It was oh. when it just came out. It was just maybe. lightning everywhere. Oh yeah, uh, maybe they yeah, turned it off. Like, I think so. <laughs> At the tops, man. Like I, I, I've I send a, I put a thing on the uh, Microsoft forums. Like I'm cruising over over cells that are at like. 45 to 55,000 feet tall. And there's like, it's just a beautiful day of scattered clouds. Mm. It's, it kind of breaks the immersion a little bit. But other than that, like, I think we're really starting to see the full potential of Microsoft Flight Sim finally. And now I'm just, man, I'm so excited. Give me those IAE engines and sharklets for the Phoenix. Oh, oh man. Yeah. It's going to be on. That's it's going to be on. I did get a nice thunderstorm takeoff out of, um, out of DC in X Plane 11, so you know, I'm just saying, really? <laughs> yeah, but you didn't get any wind, you get any windshield effects, so I mean, you didn't really. I did, fly, so. no, I did. I was flying the, the IXCG 73 Classic, I got thunderstorms, the weather radar was working, I had to divert around some storms and turbulence, but you know, that's, what, that's so fun. Like, that's that's yeah. one of like the, I mean, it makes me kind of start like 
hang on to my jump seat a little bit because I'm not used to turbulence the way that our pilots are. But um, like it's 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 such a different sensation <laughs> when you're in the cockpit of a of an Airbus and you're like bobbing and weaving around buildups or sails or whatever. It's man, it is like a completely different sensation. It is so much fun. And so now like put me in the Phoenix and now I want to bob and weave around thunderstorms and like at lower altitudes. Yeah. And then like above 15, 20,000 feet, like they just all went away. And like, all right, well, I guess we're just going to cruise now. <laughs> kind of boring. But um, I do want to say this real quick. Cause I, I get this question a lot. I get this question and reaction a lot on my channel when somebody new comes in. Um, so the reason why my channel is called wrong side simulations, cause I sit on the wrong side of the airplane. I sit in the uh, right seat and uh, uh, I've had people jump into the chat and like they see it and they're like, dude, first officer, right seat. But, you know, like from what I've seen in, in the flight sim community and nothing against it, everybody wants to be captain, captain this, captain that. I got to do something different. And at the time I had a left handed throttle. It was like a little fighter throttle. And I was like, you can't, I can't sit in the left seat with my left hand on the throttle. That's not realistic. You know, it's we're simmers. We got to be as realistic as we can be. So um, finally, I, I moved my my view over to the right seat and kind of got that down. And then when it came time to stream, I was like, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave the right seat. I'm just gonna be that senior first officer that's like, hey, I like the responsibility I got. I can get whatever schedule I want. <laughs> I'm chilling. I'll just stay in the right seat. <laughs> I am not mad at that, my I friend. Like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not mad at that. That that's actually, you know what? Because 99% of us fly from the left seat, so you flying mm -hmm. from the right seat will make a a nice little different visual. You know what right. I mean? I remember that, that now, the first time I ever saw somebody fly at the right side on a stream, and I was like, "This is interesting." Wow. <laughs> uh, so yeah, salutes you, man, for doing that for sure. It's like exotic. It, it feels exotic when you do yeah. it on the right it's, side. It's it's uncharted territory almost. Yeah. <laughs> but now, now if we can just get shared cockpit with Phoenix, my dream would be do a shared cockpit flight with V1 because I think I'm just spitballing, but I think I could hang with him as far as <laughs> doing the flows and checklists, like doing the right seat responsibilities, and he do his left seat responsibilities. I I think I could hang. Not Better sure. you than me, man, because I would screw that crap up within five minutes. He'll be yelling at me. <laughs> you can, by the way, in the comments, V1 says, man, you could be his, his dispatcher any day, man. He 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 appreciates it, brother. He does. I will, uh, I will definitely make sure to, to take care of him on the field. There, there sure. you go. Uh, what, what, what's <laughs> no, the name uh, of the field again? That was Feel Good Fuel? Uh, feel Good Fuel. Feel Good Fuel. <laughs> that needs to be a drink, man, like an energy drink or something. Yeah. Right. Feel Good Fuel. Feel I like that. I like that. Yeah, to be one, I will try my best not to plan you EFOB 4.6. He'll know what that means. <laughs> right, right. Nice. I mean, I don't know who the hell he flies for, but if he, if he somehow is at mine, right. no 4.6 for him. There you go. Yeah, he, he said, gets, yeah, he's he excited. Gets, uh, the V1 fuel. <laughs> so. Oh, my word. Guys, this is lovely. This is absolutely the kind of episodes that we love to bring you guys on the Blue Experience. And uh, again, I'll say it again, go join the channel, the Blue Experience channel right now. If you haven't done so, go sub to it because come next week, that's where we're going to be broadcasting from with all our episodes going forward. Also, Right Side Simulation, go to his channel, hit Wrong him side. with the subs. 
I want to. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to say anything. Did I say it right side? Exactly. <laughs> go, 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 hit him up, man, and give him a sub as well, because you know I'll be there watching him to just do his thing. And your wealth of knowledge shows, man. I'm gonna tell you right now. I don't know how long you've been doing it, but it shows that you you're either a quick learner or you just good at what you do and we appreciate you bringing this perspective something that i've never had before i don't know about you blue but first yeah. time i'm hearing this special perspective and it's it's good and it's valuable man appreciate and it. we can absolutely see your passion like it's so bright and i love it man i love it i am yep. a big airplane nerd and that's really what it all just comes down to Big yeah. airplane nerd. It's, it's <laughs> contagious, man. I've already seen multiple people in the chat say, "Hey, I'm gonna look into this, into being a flight dispatcher," and personally, I'm one of those people. I'm gonna look into seeing if it's realistic for me to become a flight dispatcher because I'm really interested. Yeah. I really am. Do it and and subscribe to to my channel. Or I've got if you go to my channel, go to one of the videos. I have a Discord link in there. So if you want to hit me up directly, if you just need some guidance on on anything dispatch, any way that I can help, I'm here. Amen. Wow. Wow. Any uh, wow. anything else like you want to say? You know that we didn't ask you, or any other like you know social medias want to promote anything? This is your time right now, man. No, I've, only social media I've got is YouTube. I got off that. Uh, I got off. That's that's a thing that's kind of nice at this point since I only have two hundred subs. Is I don't have to do Instagram and all that. Um. Oh, you but, just uh, wait. You just wait. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> oh boy. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I, I think I pretty much got everything out. It's just, um, I don't know if, if, if you want to, if you can't fly, come be a flight dispatcher. It's a hell of a lot of fun. And keep See, it on the wrong side. That's the billboard right like there, 995. Exactly. You can't fly, be a dispatcher. Put your that's face right. on it. It's good to go. Wow. Right. Great, 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 man. Blue, what you got coming up the rest of the week? Hey, man. I'll be live again tomorrow, uh, 12 noon Eastern. Uh, we'll be back on Microsoft Flight Sim. Got some more giveaways coming. Uh, Flight Control Replay has been sponsoring us and, and got us a bunch of copies to give away. I know big complaint about Microsoft Flight Sim is not having a replay system. Um, and Flight Control Replay so far has been working pretty good for me. And uh, we'll be giving away a few copies of that. So, Definitely excited about that. And again, I can't say it enough. The Blue Experience is finally running to its own channel. Uh, and that's going to be starting off next week on our next episode with Orbix giving away 10 products. 10 of y'all are going to have free free scenery or free something. I think we're also talking about Volanta subscriptions as well. So oh, yeah, it's going to be good, man. I'm excited about the future of the Blue Experience podcast. Um, it's been growing. It's We've had amazing guests just like... Uh, our friend here, Wrong Side Simulations, and I've learned so much, and I'm just so I, I love this episode. It's just, man, <laughs> so cool. I appreciate that. It means a lot. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. We're gonna keep bringing it. We're gonna definitely gonna keep bringing it to you guys. Uh, for me, tomorrow is what Friday. Not the FNO is the XPO tomorrow. I don't know where we're going yet. We'll see what happens. And then um, the next week, we're going to be doing some good stuff as well. So stick around. Stay tuned for that. I can't believe it's the end of the week already. We just oh, said, like, I got one more thing I forgot to say. Oh, There's so much going on. Pilot Edge is having the virtual Oshkosh event next week. Um, I do have my own virtual Blue Games booth 
in the scenery pack which is freaking crazy so definitely uh come by if you don't actually end up flying into the event you can still download the scenery i believe free if you have an account uh, and you can still fly in oshkosh yourself i'm planning on actually dispatching my own flights or, or planning my own flight from my home airport down here in houston up to oshkosh wisconsin and most likely the kit fox the trent palmer kit fox is gonna be like a a two-day nine-hour trip for me to fly that thing it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be fun so looking forward to it blue that's it uh thank you so much <laughs> alongside simulation appreciate it blue take us out man we are out well guys that's episode guys 31 thank you again wrong side simulations xp72 uh, remember, you guys, you have three choices. Give up, give in, and give it all you got. Peace, love, and God bless you. We will see you guys on the next episode, next time, next video. I and XP and wrong side. All right. What do you say, uh, wrong side? Keep the what up? Keep it on the wrong side. I like it. I like it. All right. We out, guys. See ya. See ya.